You're listening to The Staff Room Podcast with Che and Pav. We talk casually yet poignantly about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come on and chat with us because we love to engage in great conversation. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Staff Room Podcast. Today we are talking about imposter syndrome. What are we learning from imposter syndrome? And this is going to be a very rich topic. So I'm not going to waste a lot of time and I'm going to jump right in to a few introductions. My name is Pav Wander. I make up about 50% of the Staff Room Podcast. My co-host is sitting next to me, but I don't introduce him. So I'll let him do that. And now, from Cone University, 6-6. What? What? Whoa, whoa. What? What? Don't don't distract me. Don't distract me. (laughs) 6-8. We're number 6. Emily Poygar. G. The Hurricane. Cheney. From York University, <laughs> five foot two, <laughs> the meanest shooting guard you're gonna find in the staff room podcast. We got Pav, Wonder, Woman, Wonder, and now let's welcome your staff room podcast. So, so if it was so easy to embellish your height, you couldn't embellish mine. I thought I was. <laughs> Oh, pardon me. My bad. That sounded like the drive opening. That was almost like the drive. Yeah, I miss those Friday morning energetic drive openings. Yes, the drive on a Sunday night is not the same, but Pav, we are on episode 77. We sure are. We got a a topic that we are excited to talk about because we've been excited to learn about it. And uh, should I dive in with sort of our anecdotal story to what was the the motivation for this? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. And of course... We're very active in the social media space and engaging in chats and sharing thoughts and making reflections and making statements, you know, trying to engage in that community as much as we can. And uh, I made a tweet one day. I believe it was about leadership. I don't believe, I know it was about leadership. And I, as a teacher, you know, my perspective, my truth was, you, you don't need to tell me you're a leader, just lead. And of, of course, I could subplot, and there was, oh, you can't say it about administrator. I didn't say administrator. I identify administrators by the title administrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make no designation. When I say leader, it could be anyone. But ultimately, I made this tweet. And it, you know, it got a little bit of action, and then it got a little bit of conversation. And one of these themes that came out was that some, some people weren't comfortable with it. All happened to be the same people that weren't comfortable with the, the, the toxic positivity or the not the toxic positivity tweet, you know, months and months ago, mm-hmm. uh, floating around the internet. Uh, there's probably an experiment there to why it's the same people. Uh, 
Um, but they they brought up some conversation. They brought up some points that they felt that this was uh, they were uncomfortable with that statement because it impacted their uh, they identified as imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know a lot about it. And, uh, yeah, we'd so, heard the term before. Yeah, we'd heard the term before, but I wasn't comfortable enough to speak on it. But I certainly addressed everyone because I actually don't make a tweet where I won't address or interact with someone when they interact on the tweet. And so, yeah, he interacted and I acknowledged it and I honored the truth. Uh, I honored their truth, but I, I wasn't totally familiar with, I couldn't completely make the connection either in the in the moment. I had to learn. And so that little anecdotal story, we decided, you know, we, we got to have to do an episode on this because we need to, one, learn a little bit more, look at it a little bit more, see how this actually impacts our teaching. Mm-hmm. And then let's have a discussion. And I think this is the week 77, we wanted to talk about imposter Syndrome. Yeah, and, and this, it's been many weeks we've been waiting to have this conversation because because it, it was one of those uh, kind of similar to toxic positivity. We don't want to just come on here and record an episode until we feel like we know a little bit of something about the topic. And, and I have to admit myself that I, even in my mind, I went through many different uh, understandings of what the term meant. And even up until I think yesterday or so, um, I, I always had a different understanding of what it, of what it meant. And so I had sort of created this, uh, this working definition in my mind. And as I did a little bit more research and reading, I was like, oh, okay, so this is what it actually means. And, and imposter syndrome, I think a good place to start here is that it, it is not in fact a syndrome at all. It is actually uh, more appropriately known as imposter phenomenon. It's an event. It is not something that is diagnosable by DSM standards or ICD standards. Um, it's a phenomenon that occurs in individuals. It's not a mental disorder, um, but it is often characterized by feelings of low self-esteem and sense of failure and perhaps a little bit of depression as well based on your ideation of what knowledge you have compared to the people around you. So it's, it's like saying, I know what I know, but I know I also think that all the people around me know a lot more than I do about a particular topic. Uh, but in actuality, in reality, it, it is often, usually, probably I can say never the case so it, it is sort of this underestimation of what you know and understand about a particular topic. And so it leaves you feeling inferior to the people that are around you, unnecessarily so, because we don't actually know what the people around us are knowledgeable about. There's so many things I want to dive into. Yeah. Some of them I'm confident and some of them I'm, I'm not so confident and mm-hmm. I'm sort of wavering and, and I'm trying to, to piece together. And I like the fact you brought out the, that part that it's imposter phenomenon mm-hmm. or an imposter experience. And I thought that was important for me because in my first dealings with it, as much as I wanted to honor that truth, I wasn't totally sure whether it was sincere or it was being used as a, a leverage point. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are, are, are we really, do we really want to talk about this? Or is this your means of having a conversation where you, as much as you say you want a conversation, but in order to have the conversation, you have to manifest a point of leverage, that upper hand. And so I want to honor these experiences and, and people that are truly I'm feeling this at times and then work to alleviate or find out what can be my role as a support or 
uh, as a teacher, how do I ensure these type of feelings aren't resonating with my students? Mm-hmm. But one thing I had to grapple with is that it's it's like the boy who cried wolf are the people that are using it the most really the ones that really are suffering it from it the most or is it I can catch on to this so quick and use this as my new talking point my new leverage point that I can use this merely to brand myself merely to give myself an upper hand in argument uh, in a social media space in a social platform space and you know this was comfortable for us because one of our little you know it's a mini experiment per se is that we had you make the same tweet mm-hmm. a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. We were curious if these same people that have come after my tweets a few times would ultimately come after your tweets. And of course, there's lots of layers behind that, whether you'd see it, whether you'd interact with it. But rest assured, none of them actually no. did. No. And and I, you can jump in there, Pav. Um, I was... I was just going to add yeah. that the overwhelming uh, conversation around when I posted the exact same tweet was it was very it was very positive. It was very much in agreement with what I had to say. There was nobody challenging or pushing me back. Um, and, and I have to highlight that I am a racialized woman. Because I think this is going to be a factor when when we start to go through this is that who historically is really being victimized by this. Is victimized the right word? I don't who, know. Who falls victim to yeah. for, to this phenomenon, yes. And, and who's claiming it for themselves so early on that people that really could advocate for it aren't don't feel comfortable in a position to reference it because it's been consumed... Yeah, but by, by white males in, in a very quick yeah. amount of time. Well, I, I can throw in that maybe maybe it's not all white males, but it's definitely a privileged group of people who can use it to their advantage to appear more authentic or humble. Right. Like, oh, I, I don't I don't actually know as much as you do about this topic, but I'm just going to humbly state my opinion. So is it something that can be used as a leverage point to a privileged group? for a privileged group of people it is is it something that makes you more approachable more accessible as as a as a white male or white female or just a a person of authority or uh you know of of privilege because privilege is power which yeah. is power is predominantly dominated by white male absolutely there's a couple points i'd still like to to touch on here and i'd make a reference back to our toxic positivity episode because toxic positivity actually is a diagnosable clinical psychologist position. You can diagnose toxic positivity. You can reference it. It can't be something you get, I, I don't know if treated is the right word, but it's something you can talk about, which makes it slightly different because now in that space, when you say something's toxically positive, are you saying it for, as a clinical psychologist? Have you studied it? Do you, Or are you just whimsically stating it? It's slightly different because imposter phenomenon isn't diagnosed. It, like you said, it's an event. So there's actually, despite the two events bringing us together to talk about it, there is a distinct difference. And I thought that was important to, to highlight in my notes here, was that when you studied toxic positivity, it is a clinical condition that is, that is you can reference, but this one you can't. And I think that was important for our learning and our working definition, um, because we don't want to trivialize syndromes mm-hmm. by elevating. I, I don't know, even again, I don't even know if elevating is the right word. Cause like I said, I'm comfortable to talk about certain things this episode, but there's other things I, I still got to work out in this dialogue. Yeah. I think that similarly to toxic positivity, I think that it has been on the rise because of social media, uh, because that you are so easily able to highlight what you know and possibly what you don't know, or feel like you are, you know, so inferior to somebody who knows so much, you know, making these, you know, 
whatever the case might be, creating these great infographics about particular topics and posting them wondering, wow, I didn't know this stuff. And how come, how come I don't know this stuff? And I think I, what I would like to do is link it back to a little bit of uh, not necessarily the toxic positivity, but the toxic productivity and bring it back to the fact that a lot of those same feelings of inferiority, of low self-esteem, of anxiety, of depression um, are prevalent in people who identify with actually having experienced this imposter phenomenon event um, and, and linking that back to toxic productivity. Those, those two have very similar traits. So people who feel that they suffer from the toxic productivity are also feeling those feelings of infer- inferiority or uh, low self-esteem, not being able to keep up with their peers, not being able to produce the, the same things that other people are producing. And so I think that there, there is a little bit of a link there that, that, you know, when you brought up toxic positivity, I just wanted to highlight that, that in my reading, in my understanding, that I, that's something that I found to be the case. When you said authentic, mm-hmm. I started to make this connection to, again, who are who am I seeing that's promoting and preaching? It's time to be authentic. It's time to be authentic. And I was jotting down some notes. I said, I think it's the same. And I can't. This isn't empirically proven, but it's my sense. It's my experience that this is the same people in power and privilege. Yeah, they get to go out there and brand themselves as authentic right away. Which is ultimately, we've done some research on this. And authenticity, it doesn't have like this unlimited ceiling of greatness. You actually ascend to a point where your authenticity centers yourself so much that you become a narcissist. Yes. This path, there is a pathway. And we don't hear a lot of that conversation of my authenticity leads to narcissism. And I think it's because it's been so quickly branded and consumed by certain people to use to their advantage that this idea of trying to be truly authentic gets lost because it is so quickly consumed by people in a position that can consume it. And like you said, throw out infographics or make little videos where they're in a position where they can do this freely and easily. And it's tough to sort of catch up or it's tough to feel that you can do the same. I don't want to trivialize uh, even imposter experience with our own experiences. But if I think of as just being two teachers trying to keep up in the podcast arena, trying to keep up in the content creation. One thing mm-hmm. we can't do is ever take any time out of our teaching day right. to do it. I don't right. have that power. And it would be, and so sometimes when you think, well, these people are producing these great graphics and they're doing this and they're doing that, and you stop and you realize they're in a position where they don't have to be completely accountable to their children their students all day long. And so they have these abilities to go off for a few hours and make a graphic or do this or do that. And from my position, I'm like, ooh, 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 can I keep up? Yeah, and, that's and right. When we think about the Staff Room Podcast, can we keep up to podcasts that aren't sitting in a classroom space? I just would like to throw in an anecdote here for listeners who might be feeling like they're close to making their own connection here because I just had one. Um, you know, I, I, in this, in this uh, idea where... We, there's just not enough time during our day and we can't take that time from our students. Even if, even if we really, really wanted to and tried to, we couldn't. Those students really take up all of our attention and we give that attention to them. That's where, that's what we're there to do. And and we do that. And I was asked um, by a couple of colleagues uh, a few days ago, actually, it was like, Hey, we usually go and sit over there in that open area to have our lunch, why don't you join us? And I wanted to say yes, because 
I just wanted to take that break and go join some people and talk with them over lunchtime. But I said, no, I can't. I can't because lunchtime is the only time that I have to catch up on some of these other things that I need to do. And so it was it was very much this uh, this sort of ah, I really wish I could, but I can't. And so I was just making that little connection to uh, what you were saying, just to sort of illustrate the that point where we're often just feeling like we're trying to catch up and keep up and take time wherever we can find it to be able to, I don't keep up with that productivity. And I think that's also part of the imposter experience is feeling that you can't keep up, you can't measure up, and you are consumed to try to do it and at an unrealistic rate. Um I, I feel like it's time to drop in the, this graph. <laughs> yes. Are you ready for this? Yeah, sure. Is this a good time? So I've, I've, I have a student teacher at the moment, and we've had some great dialogues and great conversation. And I think, Pat, this is setting us up for a great episode on that sort of mentor mentory relationship. Yes, yeah. Because um, I've had two student teachers, and you're getting a student teacher. So we're going to have some rich dialogue to talk about. But we've had some great conversation, and it's been great to uh, talk with student teachers to get a sense of what are they doing? What are they talking about? What are their talking points? What's of interest to them? And so I was sharing some stories about imposter syndrome and pushback and tweets and sort of talking about that space. And he brought out this graph. And it plays a little bit into this imposter uh, experience because we'll, we'll make some connections. So it's called the the Dunning Kruger Dunning Kruger Dunning Kruger effect, effect mm-hmm. done by social psychologists that sort of measures um, wisdom versus you know confidence. confidence. Right. So expertise versus confidence. Yeah. Expertise versus confidence, and in this chart. The confidence is way high on the graph to start, mm-hmm. but the wisdom is way low. Right. And so you have inherently many people that are very confident in their understanding of something that truly aren't very knowledgeable in their subject matter. And as they start to learn a little bit more about their subject matter, their confidence actually starts to plummet. Right. Because their their learning indicates how much more learning is still required. Right. And then as it drops drastically, then you have this sort of gradual flow back up where your wisdom and your confidence start to sort of, I would say, more proportionately grow. Mm-hmm. Your confidence grows as your wisdom grows. But at that initial bleep, tons of people shoot up. Mm-hmm. And I, it, this plays into it for me because, Pav, as we were talking about, and you can jump in and cut me off any time. I just thought this was a good time to bring this yeah, uh, graph in. Like, w- why do people would feel this way? And I'm uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going to go random here. Looking it up, 70% of people in the workforce identify as having had this experience. Yes. So it is a common experience. So if you've made a connection and you and I are making connections and jotting notes, it's quite common that many people have had this imposter experience. And this graph, I thought, for me, I said, this, this, this is going to explain a lot of it. Because so many people around us actually... I don't want to say negatively, but they're not as wise on a subject matter as they think. But they have the the initial vernacular. They have the volume yes. that really consumes you to think they know what's going on. And I actually made a personal connection. I thought about me in a staff meeting. Mm-hmm. Is is my sheer volume? And not that I'm always actually very loud in a staff meeting, but maybe early on, maybe a few years ago back, I would have you know assumed that my vernacular, my my boldness was probably on this scale of 
really confident, but not nearly as wise as I should be. And how many people had their voice erased, felt anxiety, felt stressful, felt they couldn't be heard because I was billowing from the mountaintop. I had that point as well as just, Mm. you know, as something that I wanted to highlight is it, I actually wrote down, do these privileged few and their claims of, of this imposter syndrome, uh, erase the the feelings that might be felt by people of color or people who don't have that loud voice in their classroom. So if I'm if I'm somebody who is who is is a privileged person and I claim either that I know a lot about a topic even though I don't or my loudness um, sort of shows that there could be somebody who whose voice is ultimately erased that has that has imposter syndrome, knows more than I do, but feels because of my, uh, my oppressive, if I can use that word, my oppressive voice is, is sort of, uh, too bold to, to outdo theirs, right? Or it does outdo theirs. They, they probably know more than I do. Um, but because of my boldness, because of my privilege, they feel like they don't know. And that's something that we can't actually measure because we don't know what you know until you say it. But if you feel like you have imposter syndrome, then you're not going to speak up. That's no. my that's my that's my and little anecdote. No, there. it's it really important when I'm not even like I know I want to jump in. It's like where do I want to jump in? And I want to come back to this graph that mm-hmm. you're listening to, but you can't see it. You need to visualize it. Yes, um, <laughs> is that so many people I think stay in that space? That the graph sort of implies that you have this tumbling effect. You go down, and as your experiences and your wisdom grows, your confidence then grows. But how many people just stay at that spot spot of low wisdom, high confidence? And I think we had this mm. conversation that. When you're in a position of privilege, the, that privilege really resonates when you can say stuff and no one's going to call you out on it. And you get to, as you said, rinse and repeat, rinse yeah. and repeat, rinse and repeat. Um, this, I think, happens a lot. On social media, absolutely. Um, because there are, all tr- there are trolls out there. And I think we've highlighted before that the, there is a role for the troll, right? I don't, I don't know if we've highlighted no, maybe on not. This. No. Maybe on the drive. Oh, no, yes. Know. Yeah. The role of the troll is exactly in this in this scenario is that we think, oh, it's just a troll, it's just a troll, it's just a troll. But the troll to its roots is a disruptor. Mm-hmm. And it's a disruptor of a system or it's a disruptor of a person that's in such a place of privilege that they're untouchable. And so when someone's untouchable, like we collectively as a staff, let's say we have a staff member, let's, let's make it personalized. Let's say I'm the staff member, this low wisdom that's big and it's huge and I'm boisterous. The rest of the staff has to shoulder the burden of not calling me out mm-hmm. because I get to go off. I get to talk. I get to speak. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And the rest of the staff either remains silent, feels anxious, can't, d- doesn't want to jump in, you know, imposter experience. And the, everyone shares or hold on to that. They have to shoulder all the burden of me being low in wisdom, high in confidence. It puts such a stress on a staff as a collective. And then I'm going to jump to the classroom if I can, Pat, Mm -hmm. for a second. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of a teacher that I have to ensure that I don't allow one student to hold that position. Mm-hmm. Even even if they're really confident, and maybe they do have the confidence and the wisdom, I don't want them to to able to hold on that mountaintop because I'm not that I want to say this right, but I'm going to say it wrong. But I want to get the the feeling out there is that I don't want to have certain students that are erasing another student's ability to engage in the class because their loudness or their 
high confidence is instilling these ideas of anxiety and stress and, and, and alienation, which are themes we come across with SEL and anti-racism. Our students are feeling this. And this idea of imposter experience is linked to this Kruger effect that you have people in your spaces. And as a teacher, I want to limit or I want to curtail students that are so confident that haven't yet ascended in the learning that are erasing other students' ability to dive into the learning experiences. Right. Yeah. And and also to bring it back to the classroom, what can I do to get my students out of that situation of imposter syndrome? You know, like they're they they may not be just competing with the students in their in their own class, but they might be competing with the students in the class, you know, down the down on the other side of the city that they might have to compete with. And they might have these expectations of this other school that, uh, you know, we can't compare to that school because, because of X, Y, Z. So how, how do you, how do you both increase the confidence and increase the knowledge base or the expertise in our students so that they can uh, sort of move through not only that high confidence. And and I want to highlight that I don't think that everybody goes through that super high confidence and low, low experiential knowledge or no low wisdom uh, spike on that graph. Like, I, I don't think that I've ever really been in a situation where I feel that confident without having the knowledge, but maybe, maybe I haven't reflected enough. Um, so I don't think that everybody goes through this graph, uh, which is probably why it's not mathematically um, acknowledged, yes. this, this graph. It's, it is very theoretical and it's developed by two social, social psychologists. Um, and so I, we do like it because it creates this great talking point. And, and we've seen incidences of, of all of these scenarios um, in our time as podcasters and probably prior to that as well. But I don't think that everybody goes through that high confidence peak. Um, but then there are definitely those situations of, of imposter syndrome happening in, within our classrooms. And so what do we do in our spaces to sort of battle that, to combat that and to get our students out of that space? Because the last thing that we want is our students to go out into the world feeling like they don't know anything. And so um, I think as we were doing some of our reading and preparation, I, I recalled some conversation, some stuff that I had read in Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paolo Freire and culture uh, teachers as cultural workers, and also uh, Bell Hooks, Teaching to Transgress. And in both of those books, or all three of them, um, the authors talk about agency, student agency as being one of those reasons or one of those ways that we can take students out of this feeling of imposter syndrome or ex imposter experiences and, and move them up that scale of wisdom and confidence because that agency allows them to do that. So that was sort of where I left my reflection because I feel like there's more there's still more reflecting that I would like to do surrounding that topic of well, what kind of agency do I need to give my students and what other kinds of supports do I need to allow them to have to move up? Because it's not just giving them ownership. There has to be, there has to be more scaffolding and foundations built on that for our students to get to that point. Because if you don't have that confidence, if you're already yeah. doubting, then you're just not going to... This yeah. is a lot of the issue with student voice and student agency, uh -huh. is it just, there's a lot of assumptions that everyone's coming at an equal playing That's field, right. and they'll all embrace the opportunity equally and get as much out of it. But many of our students, 
they're not coming to school or the learning space with the same feelings. And when we talk about racialized students, more so, right? We learned this from Clinton Klein gave us that example once that the assumption with a lot of these pedagogies and like learning skills per se is that we're all starting at zero, but we're not. There are students that are unfortunately starting she used the example, they're in a deficit. Mm -hmm. They're at a negative two or they're at a negative three. And so when you have students, when I link this now to this imposter experience, if you have students that are already feeling this way, opening up an activity of agency, it's actually, you could probably argue, is actually going to exacerbate this problem more than alleviate it. That's right. That's right. And then suddenly you're going to have those students who feel like they have that power because they have the agency. They have the uh, ability to share their voice. And, And so you'll see that spike. You'll see that that initial spike happen where there's super high confidence because your teacher has told them to just share your voice and and just go for it. Um, but then they don't have the knowledge base or the foundation to to back that up with. So um, does that cause our students to fall into imposter syndrome for longer? Is it a cycle that repeats? Mm, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, is that something to consider as well? Do do we go back and forth because before a- we go up yeah well and and even think because it's an experience you're it's because it's not a syndrome that you can cure per se that the experience you're never going to uh, eliminate all of them are we going to have the social emotional capacities to deal with them do we have that emotional intelligence to deal with and more importantly have we created the infrastructure in our classroom settings where we're embracing emotional intelligence and we're honoring students emotions and are we honoring their feelings Mm -hmm. and this comes right back to culturally responsive and relevant pedagogies and sel um do are we embedding that emotional capacities in our students and embracing those emotions and not making certain students have to burden their own emotions in order to to facilitate and succeed in a compliance-based system. And our compliance-based system serves the needs of, I want to say the few, but it actually does serve the needs of the majority. Mm-hmm. But within that majority, there's a certain uh, certain students that are good to excel and, and maybe um, disproportionately excel because of this that chart. They have that high spike in confidence that erodes other students' ability to perform. Mm-hmm. And thus it... Uh, overshoots the value of their own learning because the people around them have shut down. Right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, That's a lot. There's some good conversations. Are we ready for uh, a little bit of a break? Yeah, I think so. And then we'll go to commercial. We'll yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring this back. Let's and we'll hear from our sponsors. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And this episode it. is brought to you by Clint Eastwood. <laughs> go ahead. Make my day. Well, you know the Staff Room Podcast hit the big time when Clint Eastwood is uh, sponsoring us. That's a big one. That's a big name. Thank you, Clint. We appreciated that. What's the What's the paycheck on that one? It cost me a lot. <laughs> oh, no. I thought, you know, shouldn't we be getting sponsorship from Clint Eastwood? <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> I guess we paid him. Hey, okay. Clint. Clint. Hey, Clint. <laughs> you know you're talking to. Um. This has been a, a really good conversation. Yes, very. Some things I was really comfortable talking on. Other things I'm still trying to work out. And of course, we're just yeah. two teachers. Just two teachers. And this is brought on by an experience in, in social media that made us reflect and think and then ultimately come back to our classroom. How is this important for my teaching? Um, and what do I want to look for in my classroom dynamics and in in, in how I'm setting up and curating these spaces? But it's been some good learning. But if you have more points to add on, other insights, this conversation is not the ascension to the mountaintop. This is not a must-listen-to. 
episode. You can find this content anywhere, everywhere, maybe better. But if this is one of those fun access points that engages you, that's fantastic. And if we can learn and continue this conversation in some other form, we'd love to engage and learn a little bit more. Even on our toxic positivity, toxic productivity, we're almost ready for a part two. Mm -hmm. We've had so much rich feedback to go with the conversation. This is not the end of the conversation. This is merely the beginning of the conversation. Absolutely. Pav, when we took that quick little break, did you have anything you wanted to come back to um, that you were thinking on that maybe we would want to touch base on again? Um, you know, back to bringing it to the classroom. I, I was thinking actually, yeah, while we were on break and as you were speaking here, when we bring it back to the classroom, it becomes an additional component for us to be conscious and aware of something that we want to consider. And it can feel like a lot. It can feel like, okay, well, here's another thing that I need to now be mindful of. And many of this are, many of us do this naturally and organically is recognizing when our students feel overpowered by others in the space or uh, when we see students that are not contributing, but we know that they know this stuff, but they they just, they don't feel confident to to contribute or those hesitant students that just won't put their hand up, but you're like, I just wish you would because I know you know this. Um, and so we attribute those things to introvertedness or we attribute that to, oh, they're just, they're quiet and shy. Um, they just don't want like to speak in public, but have we ever considered that they may be suffering from, and I, and I, lose, I don't want to use that term necessarily suffering from, but they may be experiencing imposter syndrome. It could be something where they just feel like they feel, they internalize the fact that they just don't think that they know what the other students know. This lack of confidence, this lack of uh, ability to vocalize what they know because they're just not aware of what we all know. So it's it's definitely a part of this the culture building that we have in our class. Just share, blurt out what you're thinking just just make this that sort of a learning environment where it's like don't be afraid to share what you think you know because we're all doing that everybody is doing everybody should be encouraged to do that and I think that that environment culture building relationships trust all of these things that we that come up so often are very important in creating that environment where students don't even have to feel that imposter syndrome ever. So that's, I mean, I don't know if that really helps anything, but that's just what I was thinking of. It's, they're, they're great points. And we can come back to the non-teaching space, but it was really important to bringing it back to the teaching because that's that's what we're doing on a daily basis and these interactions in social media like I feel like Alan Iverson we talk about defense we talk about defense uh, like don't you don't need to poke me poke the bear in that space that that's not generating anything but um, when I come back to my classroom and I start to ponder and you bring these great points up is these introverted students they're just shy but are they really just maybe they are introverted like mm -hmm. we don't want to dishonor right. being an introverted learner which is uh something we want to honor more and more and celebrate but it's we want to celebrate all our students and we want to make sure that we are honoring them and if this um experience is happening imposter experience is going on we want to make sure that we're doing our best to alleviate that so we want to make those i i keep coming back to culturally responsive pedagogy and that are we actively dismantling the system because i don't have the data in fact the data would suggest different the data suggests that there isn't necessarily uh one group or uh that is statistically represented more in this there's no disproportionate representation mm -hmm. but my feeling is is it what i brought to the beginning i have this, this skepticism are people identifying that 
I, I don't, I don't want to trivialize their identification, but I feel that it's, it's the racialized student in my spaces where this is more pertinent and it's more overshadowed or they're not able to articulate it because it gets consumed and the title gets taken by someone so quickly that they no longer feel that they can articulate that this is what they're going through. And so I do have some skepticism, which I don't want to have, but I want to be able to, my that culturally responsive pedagogy that I'm working through and I'm working to get better at all the time, I just feel that in our experience where we teach with almost completely racialized community, that the the my racialized students don't get the chance to really learn about this, embrace it, try to, to work together collectively to celebrate so that you're not feeling these experiences because it gets consumed and taken. Like, yeah. like it's something that I can just quickly ascend to and then I can't access it. I'd like to um, make a connection somewhere when you're, you're talking about culturally relevant pedagogy and, uh, and talking about the different stu- the, the students, the, the diversity of students that we have in our spaces and, uh, I know that you're making a point about um, about overtaking that that the the knowledge by the students and and creating this imposter syndrome space. I just want to to bring the and this may be nothing, but I I, I want to highlight the the idea that there are particular cultures where imposter syndrome is not like a, a negative thing. It's not a it's not a syndrome. It's not a, a negative experience that you you never assume that you know more than anybody that is around you. That that mm. is that is the cultural norm and expectation that that you never that the people that are around you are to be respected and revered and you always acknowledge what they know before you acknowledge what you know. And so are those cultural difference? I'm thinking about the Japanese culture because that's what I read about. And, uh, and that's what I understand that you, that you allow this, the people that are around you in your space to, to highlight their knowledge before you bring up yours. And you always, um, assume that you don't know what the people around you know. Um, so I'm wondering if that plays into the imposter syndrome, uh, the this 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 graph or this experience within the classroom setting, you know, are we do we have students in our classrooms who don't presume to know more than anybody else or even equal to the other people in the space because it would be disrespectful to to take that on or to be uh, you know claiming to have more knowledge than other people or even equal knowledge to the people around you. So it, it was something that I wanted to bring up because it's something that I read about. It may not be quite accurate, but it is something that I had in my mind and I feel like there's a connection there. So, um, you know, please, if you know more about this. It, re- it reminds me of the quote you made about uh, it takes a village to raise a child and how we mm-hmm. had a different, the, the interpretation of that quote varies based on your your yeah, culture and what, right. what that means. And, and I, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, I didn't come across this, nor have I thought about it. That's that's a really uh, important point to make. It's, certain cultures are going to va- are going to value this. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Interesting. It's like it's like associate. It's like making associations with the people around you. Like I'd 
I'd prefer to associate with people who I'm not smarter than because I want to learn from them. And so I want to honor and respect the knowledge that they have, a fully Ooh, understanding that oh, I don't know this as is much good. as them. I, I, I'm having a gym guy moment, reflections of being back in the gym when kids rush to make their teams and they just stack up their team with all the good guys around them. Mm. It reminds me of this chart. It's somewhat unrelated, but it's like, I don't, I, when you were talking about, I, I thrive on feeling like everyone around me mm-hmm. has got great wisdoms and I'm just, I'm soaking it all in. Yeah. And I made this quick connection to my gym class where there are certain students that they just want to quickly assume all the talent around them so they can just blow people out of the water because <laughs> they don't want to learn from the other team. They don't want to learn. They just want to stack their team That's so there's right. no real learning going on. Because yeah. if I can just bring all the great talent here on my squad, we're just going to go and we're going to dominate. That's right. It's it's not quite the same, but it just that story popped yeah. in there for some reason. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's, it's relevant. Because as, connection. as me as an athlete, I actually at the opposite. I don't want to be on a stack team. I want to play against a greater team that's going to, you know, challenge right. me, that's right. elevate me, make me work a little harder to better my skills. Exactly. Um, this has been a good conversation. Very good. I do. You've highlighted a bunch of sources. I have one quote that isn't really, you know, right in the right place right now. But, you know, I jotted it down. And I, I want to hear it. And I have my Ralph Nader impression. I, well, I love the Ralph Nader impression, so I just want to hear it for that. And quote, it's not about what you are that holds you back. It's what you think you are not. End quote. Hmm. Dennis Waitley. Hmm. Interesting. I thought that was a good little yeah. segment. Don't Very need- good. Anything to talk on? Or I think I think we can wrap this up. Yeah, you know, I, I had a lot of notes. So if you heard a lot of rustling papers during this episode, it was me flipping back and forth through my all my notes that I had taken, uh, quite a few. But I did checkmark things as I was going through, and I and I nailed everything. I got to everything I wanted to say. I can quickly wrap, wrap us up with a swag bag. But I, I think that. before the swag bag, we've got these two components. How we are um, dealing with in, in the imposter experience with sort of our peers and the, the adults around us. It's so Media in the space. social media scene and and i think in that scene i have some more skepticism because yeah. the only people i've ever seen use it are white males yeah uh white powerful males that's the only one those are the only people i've ever seen use it mm-hmm. but I, I don't want to diminish what the experience is but my my gut my feeling is is that our racialized community racialized females although you highlighted another great point i my feeling is is that that's that's who's actually, or that's yeah. where we should be um, honoring or acknowledging. Early research into this topic was f- focusing on women in the workforce. Yes, as, that's right. Because they and they only later they seem to find data that just didn't seem it was disproportionate. But that that seems that seems more natural for me. Mm-hmm. That yes, in in this space where it's a tra- traditionally white dominated space, being a female and especially a racialized female, this is going to mean all these these inner doubts are not feeling in or not feeling a part of the team. Yeah. Can I just add that for most of my teaching career, I can now look back and say that I had imposter syndrome for most of my teaching career. And I think that only in the past couple of years, I feel a little bit more. I would even say that at the beginning of our podcasting journey, and if you go back and listen to the first couple of episodes, I have zero confidence whatsoever in what I was talking about. And so I think that 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 confidence level and that that and the knowledge has moved up on that graph. So definitely I can say that I have experienced this up until very recently as a racialized female. This podcast experience. And a podcaster. 
<laughs> this podcast experience and my teaching, I feel, is growing in that chart as the wisdom is growing slowly and the confidence, it might be at the same level it's been before, but I actually know there's a lot more behind that confidence. And although we do not necessarily have the greatest podcast. <laughs> I think I, it's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> I often identify it as a really good B-side. Um, <laughs> but I know it's growing and I know it's ascending and I'm more and more proud of the work we do. And not that I'm not proud of the, of the early journey, but I certainly wouldn't hold on to the words I was using then. Mm-hmm. But we've always talked about that. The, the relevancy of this podcast is right now. Yeah. Maybe it still has relevancy in five days, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe yeah. we have a, a shift and we see something. But let's get to the swag bag. Swag bag. My favorite time. Because you can sit back. That's right. That's when I pick up my glass and finish just that listen. coffee. Um, <laughs> Lots of different things to talk about in this swag bag, and maybe they don't ascend in any natural order. But um, when I come back to thinking about the students, I thought emotional intelligence was really key to making sure we're very explicit with our teaching on that. It really connects back to that culturally responsive pedagogy. Certain students are being asked to burden and shoulder uh, great, great more to contain their emotions, suppress their emotions, when we really need to collectively learn to embrace and honor and celebrate and... Um, collectively hold on and burden the emotional uh, stress of our class if you want to call it stress so i think emotional intelligence is something we need to be very explicit in communicating with and it's was one of my swag bags mm-hmm. um i also had in here um the the social media space um it can be it can exacerbate exacerbate and people rushing to take ownership and i can be a little skeptical here and i don't want to be skeptical but i I do tend to be a little skeptical um and i had here it's about um honoring experience it's about truly giving uh celebration to our students because i want to bring this back to the classroom because ultimately this conversation for us is how are we going to be better classroom teachers and being aware that this is something that our students are going to be negotiating and navigating and the idea that it's an experience that can happen one day can come back in three weeks that the syndrome is not a syndrome it's an experience Mm -hmm. it's a phenomenon and so i think we would like to think we can chart its ascension. We can see it coming. But there are experiences. And I think we can be confident that many, many students are going to go through it at some point, which links back to the first part of my swag bag, that emotional intelligence. I think those are a couple key points from from this episode, Pat. Yeah, I think that those are some great takeaways. And, and I learned a lot from this episode and from our conversation together today. Uh, and even through the, the research that we've done and talking to people as well and seeing this term being used uh, on social media and elsewhere. So very enriching for myself and lots to think about going forward. So thank you for that great swag bag. Everyone, thank you for listening to episode 77 of the Staff Room Podcast. And we were talking about imposter syndrome. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you next week.